Hello, and welcome to the Art of Presence podcast. I'm your host, Christine Pollard. On today's episode, I'm joined by Sally, and we touch on topics such as navigating life and its many stages and transitions. We touch a bit on some grief and also our experience of being present. I invite you to notice what comes up for you as you listen, and please feel welcome to share anything that comes up for you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So now I ask, what's present for you right now? Such a loaded question. Um, I think the idea of, of thinking about like what's present for me right now um, means that I have to uh, be present, which I think is probably the thing that I'd, I'd most like to talk about in that, that challenge of, of being present and not um, overwhelming yourself with things that, you know, either I, I heard somebody say the other day about spending all the time in the past or all the time in the future you know, leaves very little time left over for the present. And I think that for me, the stage at, um, of life that I'm at right now, I feel like a 13-year-old, you know, or, or when you're graduating from high school, and it's like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and what do you want to do? And, and very few people are asked, like, what feeds your soul? And at this, you know, then, I mean, at 13, nobody goes, oh, what would feed your soul? You know, at this point in my life, it's the focus is more on what feeds my soul. And how do I, how do I accomplish that in, in this space of time and not worrying about what I'm going to get done or not get done. So for me, that's been coming up a lot lately because there's been some big changes in my life. Um, I'm, um, I'm of an age where one could retire, but I'm not. And many of my friends are, and they've moved away or they are, you know, snowbirds as they refer to them, right? Um, and other people are just doing other things, which, you know, change the dynamics of friendships. And it also makes a difference. Um, there's a bit of an age difference between my husband and myself, which means that when he's ready to retire, I will be way past the time when I want to retire. And so finding some point of, of balance there and what does that look like in our relationship? Um, and then finally, how it impacts our kids, you know, how it impacts relationships with our children in terms of time and being able to, to spend time with them. We have four children between us and um, 11 grandchildren. So it's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot going on. Just trying to find that balance. It's a huge struggle. And, and, um, you know, sometimes it's almost as if you don't want to do anything, you know, you find yourself not wanting to do anything because you feel overwhelmed trying to do everything for everybody and make everybody happy. And, you know, just all of that. And, and it, and I don't want to complain, you know, I mean, I sound like a, you know, it, I really can't complain. I never had grandparents. You know, with my history and my experiences and everything, I never knew my grandparents. So I never had an experience of having, you know, knowing what a grandparent was like. And so this has been all new, you know, sort of learning territory for me. Not only that, but being the parent of adult, you know, adult children who have children of their own. My God, no one prepares you for that. Seriously. I mean, you think about childbirth preparation and everything. I mean, they should do adult 
children preparation because the dynamics of the relationship can be very, very different. And it makes me sad. <laughs> you know, I mean, you think about you had you did everything with these children like they were your everything. Right. And then they successfully grow up and move off and have wonderful lives of their own. And you're like, where is my place here? You know, it's not quite the same as it. See, I can feel myself getting like, you know, yeah. like you don't hold the same place. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of things that, you know, you're not, you know, as an adult with, right. with, like I said, going through these transitions. I used to yeah. teach in child and family studies and I used to teach life course classes right from from birth to death conception to death as we've learned you know in pre and perinatal psychology but i mean nobody prepares you for the rest of this no. and sometimes well, like you it's really hard yeah like you said you know there's childbirth education courses okay why do we need that because we need support for that transition right right but it's right. not even just, just childbirth. Right. How to parent. You know, it's like there's no instruction manual. We're just supposed to, like, figure it out. And yet I see from so many other parents, it's like just winging it. Like, what am I supposed to do here? Right. And then, right. like you just said, it shifts when your children become adults. And it's like, okay, how do I do this? Right. I only know my experience with my own parents, right. which which may or may not have been, you know, successful in in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, if you talk right. about, I mean, first you've got imprints, right, and and then you've got, you know, and then you've got this this full out experience of things, and right. it it you may like how it went or not, right. or you want to do it differently right. or not, right. and. I know the arguments always been, I mean, I come from a you know, long background in childbirth education and, you know, some of the other things that I've done. And, you know, if we think about preparing people for, you know, people would say, well, why do I need childbirth education classes? Because it's something very natural. I mean, it's natural, right? I mean, birth is natural. Yes. And, you know, yes. And it's also a time of, of incredible vulnerability and need and, and need for, you know, a whole lot of things like, you know, safety. The first of all is, is safety, right? And then um, and then breastfeeding. Well, why do you have to have glasses about breastfeeding? I mean, you know, right. have the, like, well, this seems pretty simple. You know, breast baby, put them together, you get the whole, but they don't realize um, all the rest of it. You know, all of the rest of the stuff that comes with it, the things in the middle of the night or, you know, not knowing what to do or reading all of these things and having other well-meaning people, mind you, you know, tell you what to do with your baby. And I think that it so undermines our ability as as mothers and our, our self-esteem as mothers. Right, right. Well, when I so I was a Lala League leader for a few years and, you know, the Lala League book is the art of breastfeeding because they're like, okay, yeah, it is a natural thing, but that doesn't mean that all of it comes naturally to exactly. how to do it. Like that right. was a thing right. passed down through the generations where right. the mothers and the grandmothers and the aunts would all support each other so that it was okay if you didn't know, 
but now we've lost a lot of that. And so right. you know, there's no, there's that. no, right. There's no, what, what, I mean, you know, in, in the way I like to think of it, there's, we're losing our institutional memory mm-hmm. of, of what natural birth is like, because we have so many women who are not giving birth fully under their own power and, and in a safe environment that they chose. I mean, like all of sort of the criteria, right. Um, it's not just that you have a baby that lives, you know, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but there's so much more to that. I mean, we, we thoroughly underestimate what the birth experience, no matter what it is, how it changes a woman, you know, and, and how it can both positively and negatively impact her feelings about herself and certainly the way that she mothers, you know, and, when, and then it causes us to go back. And, and at that point, right, when we become pregnant, you know, or thinking about it, we re-examine our own mother's mothering, you know, to bring it back around to the family piece. And, right. you know, decide. I mean, my whole dissertation was on beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors about pregnancy, birth, and early mothering. And it was a, a tri-generational study because I thought I didn't have that. I'm adopted. I don't have that. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really interesting, even then, to look at that. And that's even before I knew about pre- and perinatal psychology, which is bizarre. I mean, I realized I was teaching that stuff before I even knew there was, you know, like such a thing as, as pre- and perinatal psychology. But, I mean, coming back around to the, you know, the, the struggle piece and, and the need for support, um, we don't have that. Extended families are, you know, not the norm anymore people move they're much more global which it's not just you know they move to the town next door we're, we're talking you know they live in a foreign you know in another country i won't say foreign country but another country and and that makes it really hard to maintain relationship it, it it's like a long distance dating you know marriage or something i mean it it takes pretty special people to make that work successfully in in a way that nurtures both both people and the and the relationship right because it's the relationship that's most important right yeah and so coming back to you know how are those changing relationships with friends like Mm -hmm. it's really it's really hard when all your like these were people i've see it's doing a um you know these are people i've known for like two decades I came here to go to graduate school. A couple of these people were my students, three of them specifically were students of mine that I got to be really good friends with. They were, you know, mid returning students. And, and we were, you know, we were all found ourselves in a very similar place and, and um, went on to be, after the semesters were over, you know, went on to be friends. And, um, you know, they've all done what they're doing, what they're supposed to be doing. Right. And I love that. And I support that. But it changes the it changes the dynamics of how you see friendships. You know, the efforts that you put into maintaining them, you know, their role in your life. Again, I look at research geek here, but I mean, you know, people who are are socially. active, I guess you would say, you know, at, at the older ages, you know, are the ones who have more fulfilling and, and healthier and longer lifestyle, you know, lives, 
we know that that social component is important. I work from home. Wickedly lonely. You know, can be very, very lonely. So part of self-care means that I also have to be conscious of that and be present, you know, and, and take care of those things. And, and um, you know, what's, what's the thing, uh, the saying, if you need, if you don't have five minutes to meditate, meditate for 60. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I see as, and here as you're speaking, that with these transitions, these life transitions, that a we don't know what we're doing <laughs> you know like we have to figure it out mm-hmm. but b the grief that comes along with these transitions at times mm-hmm. you know becoming uh, a parent you know grieving that part of you that is no you know that wasn't a parent now that you are, as your kids grow up in the different ages and stages and when they move out and then, you know, the, the way the relationship was, how it is now, now you have grandchildren. So that's a whole nother type of relationship that you're navigating. And, and then they'll grow up and they'll be adults and like, and it continues on and yeah. and you see the importance of these connections, these relationships um, in your life. And it's sad when it changes and and when when things can't last as long as we'd like them to sometimes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I, I hesitated prior to say anything like this, you know, in the past, but I really, I think the, um, the trauma of COVID was underestimated in terms of the impact that it did on families. I mean, I, I, you know, the, the focus was mostly you know, logically on people who were, you know, hospitalized and, and, you know, um, dying and, and, you know, those levels and everything else. But I don't think people really realized the impact on families of people not being able to see each other. You know, so many people were unable to, to be with their, um, you know, their parents and, and in nursing homes or, or at, in, a time of death, you know, when one also should be very supported. You know, we know that that's also a time of, of a tra- the, the, another large transition, which, you know, deserves um, compassionate um, support. And, um, and they were denied that. And I mean, I even just think about, and again, I, I it feels, I have learned that, you know, while my, my situation or my examples may seem trite or, or not, you know, unimportant in the big picture of things, when they happen, they, they happen to you. And, um, and, and there's no ignoring that, right? I mean, that's real for you. I mean, I have, I have a very, very clear memory of a Thanksgiving that, 
we were the only ones who didn't go because we were wearing masks. And at that, at that time, it was, you know, really early on, it was the first Thanksgiving and um, everybody else thought we were crazy and they were entitled to their opinions. Um, and I made the suggestion of getting you, maybe we could, you know, coordinate it on, on zoom or something like that. Um, that didn't work out so well. It ended up not being a really positive experience. Um, and, and that was hard because it was the only Thanksgiving I haven't spent with my kids, you know, and my oldest is 43. So that's a lot of Thanksgivings. And I, and I still feel really bad about that. That's like time lost. I learned my mother died when I, when she was 56, I was 17. And, um, you know, I, I learned a lot about time lost, you know, of things that you don't get to experience later. Cause there just isn't that opportunity, you know, I mean, my parents have been gone forever, <laughs> you know, like mm. people's lifetimes. My parents have been gone. My, I have friends. I mean, I will be, I 66. Yeah. Yes. 66, be 67 in January. I had to think about that. Um, and, you know, I haven't had parents for, for, you know, most of my adult, all of pretty much all of my adult life. So that's a very different experience. And when I have friends who still have their parents, there's a part of me that goes, wow, what a, you know, how blessed you are. And then there's a part of me that goes, wow, you suck. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't yeah. mean it that way. You know what I mean? Like, right. wow, you know, I, I, I wish I'd had that because there's so many conversations that I wish I'd had. Again, um, things I didn't think about asking when I was 17. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to share that with my grandkids, even though I think I had, can I share a quick story? Yeah. I had the most amazing conversation with one of my grandchildren um, uh, who, who is a, a new fresh teenager um, and, and also a boy. And which is, this is the part that's surprised because the girls usually listen to me, but the boys, you know, not so much. They like the play with Rob and the rough and tumble and, and things like that. And, um, and so I was on the phone and I was talking about um, Mercury and retrograde. And I was <laughs> talking about this show I had seen when I was wide awake at four o'clock in the morning about um, giant bones that they had found in a cave in Tennessee and some stuff like this. And I said, oh, you're probably tired of listening to your grandma about stuff like this. I'll let you go. And he goes, no, grandma, this is really interesting. And he wanted to talk to me and the phone kept going dead. And he was irritated that the phone had gone dead. I had to tell you that conversation was one of life's greatest blessings. want to make a little space for that it was pretty it special is. yeah it was I mean just just a conversation I I get off the phone with my daughters I probably shouldn't admit this publicly my husband knows <laughs> this because I report it every time every time I get off the phone with my daughters I look at the time and I say 24 minutes and 38 seconds I got to spend with them It just shows how much 
you love them, how much you love connecting with them, and how meaningful that time is with them. Especially now as, you know, I'm reminded of how we started this conversation with the transitions and things and and how the relationship changes as children become adults and there is less time mm-hmm. together. And so the time right. that you do have, I see for you, like you really cherish that. It's really meaningful for you. Yeah, it is. It really is. Thanks for thanks for seeing that and, and mm-hmm. making space for that because that is important. You know, and as you get older, you realize that your time left, you know, is less than your time already spent. You know, and I think that, you know, every year I have spent beyond what my mother had, you know, I've been so grateful for, you know, and there's been things, there's been life, you know, a couple of health challenges here and there, you know, that have made me go, "Hmm, okay, you know, better, you know, pay attention, you know, pay, pay attention and don't take anything for granted and it comes back to you know like that staying present but but the, then the challenge of how do you be like how do you how do you fulfill that for so many people and still stay have time for yourself in terms of self care mm-hmm. you know because you're still you know you're still giving it out even though they're adults and they're capable and they're successful and they're happy, you know, for the most part, I mean, everybody, you know, like everybody else, they've got their, all of their ups and downs and stuff. But I mean, for the most part, they're all doing really, really well, you know, which makes me very proud. And it also makes me sometimes regret that I raised strong, independent, (laughs) you know, because Mm -hmm. I wish that they found more of a place for me in their lives and that makes me also then realize that um you know makes me look back and think about how I spent those latter years with my dad I had all three girls before my dad passed away so my dad my dad passed away when I was about 30 I have to go back and look that's terrible it's been so long um something I pushed away but um anyway I Geez, I even lost track there with that. That's, that's, I don't know. I don't remember what I was going to say. Can you help refresh me where I was there for a second? For some reason, that just took me like to a whole different, that took me to a whole different place in a memory. Then I had a, having a little bit of a struggle coming back from from, from that, but. um, It's okay. Thank you for naming that. Yeah. Yeah, we can take a moment. There's no rush to get back. Just Yeah. Just where were we? Knowing that we just... that I'm here with you. And <laughs> I... yeah, you were you were talking about um your kids and um that you were you were thirty uh when your dad had passed and the amount of Oh, I time, remember the time like that had... I had spent with him. Right. And mm-hmm. I remember being so incredibly busy. And I had a marriage that was not doing well, you know, and um, it's funny, like I, I, I just realized my hand was up and I realized like it it almost feels like I shouldn't be saying that and like I'm covering my face like I shouldn't mm-hmm. be saying that. It's weird. I pay attention, you know, paying attention to those kinds of things. But um, 
you know, I, it, I was really busy. Life was very, very busy and crazy back then. Um, you know, I had a husband who was out of town 50% of the time, pretty much, you know, and I had very active girls and I was, and I had gone back to school and there was a lot going on. And my dad was just like, he was on my radar, mm -hmm. but not in a way that I bet he wishes he was. Yeah. Yeah. I resonate with that. You know, I lost my dad earlier this year. And um Yeah, I ha I have similar feelings of that time lost and um I mean, I didn't grow up with my dad. My parents divorced when I was four, and I only got to see him once a year, usually, which we continued on for the most part in adulthood, even, which was good because <laughs> some uh, some families, when you know your kids live in different states, you know, don't always get to see right. kids every year. Um, he usually worked pretty hard to make that happen every year. Um, but this time, he uh, it didn't work. He was going to visit me last year, and it didn't it didn't happen. And that was concerning. I was like, oh, you know, that came up on my radar. Like, that's different. And he had said some things at, like, Christmas time. And I, and I was like, oh, I wonder if he's doing okay. And, um... He would come up in my mind, but, you know, I also have ADHD. I'll forget a lot of times to text or something. I'll think I already have when I haven't. So, like, when he passed, um, like, two or three days before he ended up in the hospital, I had texted him because I was like, uh, I had told him I was going to come visit him because it was seeming too hard. For him to travel so I was like oh don't worry about it this this year I'll come to you instead and um so I had texted him a couple of days before like hey planning to come next month on these dates does that work for you you know and I never heard back the next thing I know he's in the hospital and I, I'm grateful for the time that I I got with him there but when I looked back at my phone, I was like, oh, I hadn't talked to him since Christmas. It had been like four or five months even, you know. And so, yeah, there's that kind of guilt. Of, right. I didn't say I, – I swear there was something at some point in between there. Maybe I just don't have a record of it for some reason. But, yeah, I was just like, oh. I really let that much time go <laughs> between um, yeah. communication. Like, yeah, but it didn't, not that it didn't matter, but now that he's gone, <laughs> it's more meaningful. Right. Right. And that's that, that's that presence versus past versus future and maybe there's a way of I don't know working that around where you say okay I'm going to I'm going to use the past you know to 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 stay more present 
and, and mindful. I read something a number of years ago and it was like, keep your I love you's up to date. And I just, I just love that, you know, keep your I love you's up to date because you never know. I mean, I didn't know when my, when I went to school that morning that I would never see my mother again. You know, I mean, I'm in high school. I go to school, you know, like every other high schooler leaves. And I never knew that I wasn't going to, you know, that I would never see her again. And I, you know, I, I wonder what those last interactions were like. And I was a 17 year old rebellious teenager. I know what those interactions were like, you know, we were not in our best place just to leave it there. So, I mean, it, again, I mean, it's hard to think about the things that if you had to do over again, would you, would you, but could you do it differently? Cause I don't get that that was intentional on your part at all. It wasn't no. deliberate on your part at all. It was it was, that's what life, that's, that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of the nature of our relationship. Like there was a deep love, even if we weren't capable of the type of relationship that maybe we wanted. Does that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I just, I, I remember, you know, my dad would be like, uh, what is, how would he say it? It's like, you know, I love you, right? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I do. I do know that. Um, because there would be these big gaps, you know, between communication and stuff. And right. I, I kind of felt like that was his way of saying, like, it's not about you. Like, I still love you, <laughs> you know, even when it's not maybe how we want it to be. Right. That's a very powerful message though. Yeah. Think about that. You know, time, time and space didn't have an impact. And yet recognizing that, that sometimes space can't be helped and time does what it does. It just keeps passing by. I, I can't even tell you how many times I, I've thought about, um, and, and somebody, I had a meeting this morning and he, I said, I don't know if it was this week or last week. Like, I don't actually remember. Right. I mean, or was that last month or we'll have a, I'll have my husband and I'll have a conversation. I'll say, well, that just happened a couple of weeks ago. Or he'll say that. And we're like, no, no, it's been like three months or something like that. <laughs> I mean, time passes in its own time, you know, the right. way it does. And then the COVID stuff, like before, like right. totally warped my sense of time. Right. And I, there's still things that I'm like, right. oh, before COVID, I'm like, that was nearly four, three, four years ago now, know. <laughs> you know, know, like, but like, I mean, I said earlier, I think we are still very much suffering the repercussions of COVID in ways that people have not measured, you know, because we're still having the impact on, on these relationships. And if, I mean, there were it didn't happen at the best of times anyway, you know, in terms of, of what was going on, you know, I mean, I'm a sociologist. So I mean, I take this stuff into consideration, but, you know, in terms of the larger social cultural picture, COVID didn't happen at, at I mean, not like it could happen at a good time, but it didn't happen <laughs> at, you know, really it happened at probably one of the worst times that it could happen in terms of, you know, people already being semi-divided in our in our country. And without getting into that, I want to come back to the fact that COVID very much divided people along lines of wear a mask, don't wear a mask, you know, which then ended up being a larger, you know, a, lar a much larger discussion. 
And mm-hmm. um, I mean, that wasn't just among family. That was among, you know, friends. It was coworkers. I mean, everybody was, you know, I'm involved with higher, you know, higher ed. And I mean, it happened at, at, at all levels. Um, right. So. The, but there's that even the, the lack of time. People are suffering the long COVID symptoms, you know, and, and a lot of those are so varied. Nobody can keep track of them anyway. But <laughs> I think one of them is, in fact, like this sort of this brain fog, you know, mm-hmm. piece, mm-hmm. which which further complicates, you know, how we're feeling, like being able to separate, you know, is this something from that? Is this something real and now? Is this you know, what's, what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, bringing it back to what we were talking about, Christine, about, you know, things, your dad, you know, fathers and stuff and, and relationships overall and, and, uh, you know, things that you can't go back and change. So, you know, that, from like a birth work perspective, which is some of the stuff, you know, that I've been doing in terms of working with, you know, women and couples around birth trauma is, you know, what does it take to get to the point where um, that, that experience no longer permeates Mm. every thought and, and every action in a way that, that, that doesn't feel okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think about mediation, right? Both parties have to be there voluntarily, right? Equal, equal stance, unbiased thing. Like, how can you have both of those feelings, you know, or different feelings in a, in a space and, and be that unbiased, right? Have it be like a mediation space where, where both feelings are there voluntarily. And that's really hard. It's hard to mm-hmm. balance those out. Yeah. You know. Because you're happy that every, I mean, you're, you're, you're happy with outcomes, generally speaking, but yet there's a lot of stuff that you look back on and you think, gosh, if I had that to do over again, (sighs) you know, what, what would I do differently? Maybe it's not just assuming that you're going to do it differently, but asking the question, would, would I do it differently? You know, Mm -hmm. what purpose did that serve for me, you know, at the time? And I think that's what we have to, we have to think about everything that happens, right? What am I, what am I supposed to, what's the lesson, (laughs) right? I was looking for like, what's the lesson here? Yeah. It's one thing I was grateful for. I think knowing, but not knowing that my dad was dying. Like at first there wasn't certainty, but there's like this knowing anyway. Yeah. yeah. And then with that knowing, really, really being able to be present. Like I really mm-hmm. felt like I was present there with him. Even in the in the final moments, like I wasn't I wasn't already grieving him. You know, I feel like I could have been stuck in my own feelings of loss but like I really felt like I was there with him to the end and it wasn't about me or what was going to happen or what 
had happened or the things I'd missed out on or how I wish things were different. Um, I really felt like I was there in the moment. And so I'm so grateful for that. <laughs> that is, like, that, I can't, I can't regret what, that, you know, what a gift. Yeah. Yeah. For both of you. I mean, really think about that to be really present, to be, you know, we say in birth to be like in the room, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like with woman. I mean, if you think about the, the meaning of midwifery, right, is to be with woman. Well, we, you know, you're midwifing people in and we midwife people out. And what a, you know, what a powerful presence it was to be held, both of you to be held, you know, yeah. mutually in that space. Yeah. But it just, it really showed me the power, I think, in the present yeah. because I could, like I said, I could have been stuck in all the ways that I wish things had been different in the past <laughs> or what I wa had wanted or already grieving him when he wasn't quite gone yet, you know, mm -hmm. like jumping ahead. And... It's just like, you know, in, in like healing story circles and, and spaces that we've been in together, when we are there present with each other, it's just like, I can't even explain with words <laughs> the experience of that, you know, like it's just... It's this felt experience that you just don't get from anything else. I don't I don't know. I don't even know. <laughs> that probably doesn't make sense how I'm yeah. describing it, but um Yeah, just as I learn to be present with myself and with others, or, you know, practicing being present with others. Um, sure, we have our stories that come up and, and you know, those things aren't present, but we can be present with what is coming up for us now in relation mm -hmm. to those stories. And I've so much appreciated you and your... Um, your feeling, you know, that you've brought into this conversation, like things have really touched you. And for you to, to share that to me is such a gift. To, you, to be there with you. you. You mentioned that we have, we have spent a considerable amount of time in, in these healing story circles and spaces together. And, um, you know, the standard joke in all of those circles is I don't do vulnerability well um, because it's hard to be vulnerable and you have to be in a space. I mean, it that that supports that, that, you know, when you were talking about don't know how to describe it, I just had this vision in my head of like this, this 
fleece, this really soft fleece, white fleece line kind of cradle, you know, mm-hmm. that, that you were just totally supported and it was so soft. You just kept wanting to, you know, to, to, to feel it, you know, and everything. And I think that that's what it feels like because you're feeling it. it it's okay. Like you might be suspended and that might be a little bit scary, but you're still being cradled, right? You're still being, it's still soft enough that you're safe, right? It, 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 it just gives you that kind of support. And that's, that's incredibly rare for people. You know, like you said, it requires presence. It's a, it's a learned experience. It should be natural mm-hmm. to be able to be present with someone. Right. I mean, if we think about ancestrally, you know, like eons ago, like people had each other to listen to, right? And they they weren't distracted. They weren't distracted by everything that people are distracted by today. You know, there weren't cell phones and televisions and, you know, all sorts of other things that, that people get dist- busyness that they get distracted by. There were no sporting events. There were, you know, to run people to. I mean, these are all good things, right? But they've detracted from our ability, I think, to, to, to take that time, to commit to that time, um, to be present with someone. And even if it just comes down to like saying something like, you know, somebody, you're like your husband wants or your friend or somebody wants to, to your child, somebody wants to talk to you and, and something's going on for you that you're just, you're going to need to just collect yourself a bit, you know, before that you're able to really be fully present for them and, and to be able to name that and to have the other person be in a space where they can accept that. Right. That, right. that's, that's deep relationship work. Right. I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that I've come across anyway, is I may be able to be present with someone else, but if they can't be present with themselves or they can't receive me being present with them, mm-hmm. then the experience is very different than when two people can give and receive that presence to each other. And um, I really love the way Thomas Hubel says this, but it's it's me experiencing you experiencing me. Right? Right. And, and I was just talking um, to a client earlier about this um, dynamic in their marriage where one partner is is often stuck in the future and so and can't receive what's now and so it's all they're always looking ahead at you know what's next or or when this need is going to get met or you know whatever totally missing what's happening right now of like, oh, I need this, I need that. Their partner is giving it to them, but they're still not here Mm -hmm. in the present and they're missing it. It's not even registering that they're being given what they've asked for right? because they're so stuck in the future. And it's like, what yeah, what are we missing out on? Yeah. 
when we can't receive being with someone else. Yeah. It's like the lens. If you think about it, it, it reminds me too of, um, you know, people who take a lot, of, you know, they're constantly looking through the camera or constantly, you know, taking pictures of things instead of being present with them. And we know that that's two entirely different experiences, you know, actually watching something versus watching something through something, you know, it's very oh, different. Yeah. They're not denying me. the pictures. We love pictures. Don't get me wrong, right. you know, but there's, there's, a, there's a, there's gotta be a balance somewhere. Right. Right. I just, I was listening to this talk yesterday uh, between Thomas Hubel and, and um, Gabor Mate and Gabor was sharing that there's a study in the uh, 80s or 90s that um, it was a, a video feed, a live video feed between a, a child and a mother and um, they were in separate rooms, but they were, it was live. So they were, you know, um, interacting with each other through the screen. But then they they switched it to not be live anymore. And the mother, it was a playback, a replay of the video. And the child was getting upset because the interactions were no longer influenced, you know, in real time. Mm -hmm. They weren't getting that interaction anymore it was just this video the, the mother was still there on the screen mm -hmm. but the interaction wasn't in real time anymore and that was distressing mm -hmm. and i just thought that was fascinating yeah so much for nanny cams <laughs> i mean when you think about it though i i i was at um i was at a, a sports event last week and I observed a grandmother holding a baby, probably about six months or so, in her lap. And I thought, oh, how wonderful. You know, she's, I bet she's just thrilled to have the baby. We don't have babies, little babies anymore, little tiny babies anymore. So, um, you know, just how to be able to hold the baby and everything. And then I realized that the baby had a phone in its hands and mm -hmm. was watching, you know, was watching a movie. and there may have been a, an absolute need or, you know, warrant for that. But there was this twinge of sadness for me um, when, when I thought, oh, you know, it's unfortunate. There's so much missing there for me in, in terms of what could have been um, that, that might not be because of, of the addition of that, you know, that extra piece, you know, that we didn't have to deal with when, I mean, we didn't have cell phones when my kids were little. So that was not, you know, that wasn't an issue at all by any means. Thank goodness. I wouldn't want to make some of the decisions that, you know, parents have to make today. I really wouldn't. There's a lot of things, you know, every generation I know has its challenges. Our, our parents said that as well. Um, but I, I think, you know, kids today have a lot more challenges and parents today have a lot more challenges. And um, again, taking in, you know, the, the larger social you know, picture of what's going on. I mean, it's, it's hard. We've got a lot of people who are experiencing trauma and, and this trauma is bringing up past trauma and, and there's so few places 
that recognize the value of the work of of what can happen when you have a safe space with people who are committed to being present and able to admit when they're not, you know, um, to be a witness to that. Right. And at times there's, there's uh, even mockery of safe spaces, right? (laughs) From some people that, might not understand what that means or in some spaces maybe it's been set to mean something else. Yeah. It makes Um, me curious about why it's unsafe for them to think about safe spaces. mm -hmm. I still remember that kid whose shoulder I touched in in Philadelphia. I got waylaid. I went in. I asked for directions. I was standing in line. There were some young men ahead of me, taller than I am, and I'm 5'7", and I tapped on the shoulder of one of them because I was going to say, hey, do you guys know where you are? Do you know how you get back on the highway? Because they were obviously of driving age. They had, you know, and, um, and he turned around and he was like, get your hands off of me. Who are you to touch me? And I was really shaken and I went out in the car and I, you know, I started crying and I called my husband and he said, are you okay? Are you okay? And I said, no, it's not about like, I'm not feeling unsafe. I said, what really, really I'm sad about it. What I'm upset about is what could have ever happened in that young man's life that would have created the situation where he responded to me the way he did. That's what I was upset about. Because I am not threatening. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) you know, I mean, I I, I don't come across, you know, I was not in any way, shape or form threatening, but I was to him. I was, (laughs) I invaded his space without asking. And I didn't have a right to do that in retrospect. I didn't have a right to do that. I know that because I do birth work, <laughs> but I'm also super touchy feely. And I warned my, you know, for years I warned my students about that at the beginning of the semester. Like I, I'm like really touchy feely. Like I put my hand on people's shoulders. If it's not okay with you, let me know now, you know, cause I do it spontaneously. But I, you know, just again, not knowing what somebody else's history is, not knowing what somebody else's imprints are. You know, when we do this kind of work, we become ever so mindful, more mindful, not always as mindful as we could be, <laughs> but we try to be more mindful of those things, you know, and with ourselves too. I mean, it's enlightening. It's enlightening as all get out when you, when you, because I know you're a voracious reader, as am I, um, and piles everywhere of, of books, you know, what's on the list, but when you... When you have those aha moments, when you're reading a book, as, and this often happens to me, when you're reading a book and you sit there and you cry, and you just sit there and you cry, and you sit with it, and you go, oh, hmm, that makes sense. Now I understand. Going the next step and saying, and I forgive, you know, <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. 
you know, yourself and others for, for whatever, you know, led you to that point, because it's not, you know, what purpose is it serving? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It just reminds me of the importance of meeting each other in our experience. Yeah. Lots of lots of personal pieces, but a lot of intersections as well. And I think that's where you connect, right, on those intersections and that human the humanity of it, really. I mean, if you think about it, you collect you you connect on a level of humanity or yeah. humanity. Humanity, as I should say. <laughs> Former yeah. teacher of feminist studies, I should be very careful. <laughs> we find the man and everything, right? But yeah, but I mean, really, that that's that because we all there are places that we can all be be touched, even if we haven't had that, you know, even if we haven't had that experience, um, we mm-hmm. can all be touched. Right. We can connect on some level. Right. And holding my experience and yours at the same time without negating either one, even if they're not in agreement, right? We both have very, can have a very different experience of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be you, know, you agreeing with my experience or me agreeing with your experience, but that both can exist. And they can both be true. Right. right. When we can make space for me to meet you and you to meet me without with me without me getting, you know, lost in, in my own story or something. Um, right. That's I think you, you you brought up a really interesting point because, you know, one of the things that we that's important to this type of work is to it's it's not you know like you we said earlier like it's not about us right it's it's really not about us even though we're we're can we're making that connection it's also really important to realize that their experience is their own and you know a lot of us myself included you know has a way of of um affiliative relationships of of connecting with people across experiences that that's always been important to me i think sometimes that might come across as like like trying to share my own story but it's not meant in a way to share my own story it's meant in a way to connect so finding ways to connect without sharing your story is hard work. Yeah. That's hard work. Again, we don't prepare. I taught and designed a divorce culture class. Swear they should make it much harder to get married. And much <laughs> easier to get divorced. I'm telling you. I'm a divorce mediator. Trust me. They should make it much harder to get married and much easier to get divorced. People are woefully woefully unprepared 
for what it takes to be in a long-term committed relationship if that's what you decide to do, mutually decide to do. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's hard. I mean, I felt I felt that way anyway. I felt I thought I knew, but I was 19 when I got engaged. So, you know, yeah. in all of my teenage wisdom, thinking as many teens do that we know everything. <laughs> right. I got married at that, 19. Yeah, thought that I had this, you know, understanding yeah. of, you know, yeah, married at 20, did not. Looking back, I knew nothing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I knew nothing. nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. I was a child. There is a reason why they, you know, the American Psychological Association has deemed adolescence to be up to age 23. That is your end of adolescence. You have no business getting married while you're an adolescent. I mean, think about it. But we do. People do all the time. And we have, you know, everybody has differing levels of maturity, of course. But the point is, is when you're 19, you have absolutely no clue what your priorities are going to be at 30, 40, 50, 60, and the rest of your life. You have no idea. Because you, you don't know. So how do you know how you're going to negotiate that? And then you get all busy with kids. You know, mm -hmm. and you get all busy with life and time passes quickly. And then the next thing you know, my oldest grandchild is in her senior year of high school. Do you know how crazy that is? That's, that's, that is, that is amazing to me. I still remember her birth. I was there, you know, I still remember her birth. She's a senior in high school, taking five college classes. She's almost got her associate's degree finished. It's crazy what they're, you know, what they're doing today, you know. Yeah. And I used to cherish the time she would come and spend the night. And she got busy, you mm -hmm. know, and now she's graduating and now she's going off to college. And I think about how many more nights is she going to come spend the night at grandma's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I still went to visit my grandparents and stayed the night. Oh, good. There's hope. So yeah, There's I hope. even brought, even brought Chloe at one point and, uh, yeah. until, until she had to move and into a home for Alzheimer's, but, mm, um, that's hard. Yeah. I would still stay overnight at times and I want and my girls to come and spend the night <laughs> I want my daughters to like I'll leave their families at home and I'll send Rob <laughs> off someplace and I want us all to just like I'll be back in the house together again mm. have a sleepover pajama party yeah that would be that would be fun yeah yeah so relationships super important all sorts of relationships super important yeah. And, and when you were saying that about your granddaughter, like it just reminded me of how quickly I wanted to move into adult life. You know, like I just wanted to jump ahead mm. always. And how much I missed out 
trying to do that only to realize that, oh, adult life lasts for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. There was no need to rush to this because it's going to last for the rest of my life. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. But again, yeah. not being present. I was future thinking. Right. And and I missed out on a lot from that. And, you know, part of that was being really uncomfortable. And, and that's part of it. Being too uncomfortable with the present. It can be too much. But I know now looking back. I just didn't have the support. I didn't have the guidance that I needed at that time in my life. So it might have been different. Um, but for me, it was too hard to be there. So it was easier to to think forward. Mm -hmm. The past was too painful. So it was just, you know, and the present was too hard. So, um, yeah, but, but, but yeah. your mind your body, everything was doing exactly what it needed to do at that time to keep you safe. Right. Yeah. Yep. And if that meant forward thinking, create hope, create something to look forward to, create an option, a possibility for something different, then that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And I feel fortunate that you know, at so I'll be 35 next month, or not next month, in a couple of weeks. Happy early <laughs> this birthday. month, it's already September. It is. Um, <laughs> that I can be more present, and I know plenty of people, you know, well past my age that can't do that. And so I'm grateful, not that it's, you know, better. But it's what I like for myself. So I'm grateful that I have found this and I can spend more of my years uh, supporting myself in, in this presence um, instead of the, the forward thinking all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And having, and having the, the tools and the support for when you invariably and inevitably do mm -hmm. naturally move into that. Cause it's, I mean, right. it happens to, right. I, I mean, it's to the, um, the, the suffering is in the resistance, right? I mean, you know, it's going right. to happen. It's what do you do with it when it, you know, when it comes and having right. that and, support. Right. And it's not to, to make presence being like, on a pedestal and like, this is what you need to achieve all the time because that's not possible. It's not right. reality. Um, but it's about noticing when I'm there and being able to receive it and take it in when I can. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, there's going to be times when I'm in my past, or I'm in my future and I can notice that. I don't have to judge myself for that. And I have tools and resources and support to help me come back to my being. Mm -hmm. And that's more powerful than, than so many other things and tools that people are, are using, you know, um, 
or or just or just ignoring it altogether you know which is not healthy you know in in any way shape or form i mean there's no, just but sometimes it's all we know how to do that's all we know how to do right and again that's our the uh, it's our bodies our brains you know our whole being coming to our defense basically you know, to keep things and to keep us as safe as possible. Right. I mean, I've, the multiple personality thing has always just boggled my mind. <laughs> I am in such deep awe and respect of the human mind that can go that far to that extent, that elaborate nature of creating multiple personalities because someone's trauma is so great that they can't, it's just too painful to bear witness to it in their, in their own self. That's fascinating. Utterly traumatic for the person. We needs all sorts of support. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I mean, really fascinating when you think how incredibly powerful the brain is and, and what it can do. Mm-hmm. It gives us new insight into child development, child behavior, our own behavior, you know, and, and others. It's just incredible to me. It just, it is, you know, it is, it, yeah. yeah. I, I warn people, like, I'm a neurobiology geek, you know, <laughs> I love studying <laughs> the human brain, you know, but it is, it's, it's just really incredibly fascinating. What a, what a, um, you know, complex and amazing, you know, thing that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's no surprise, really, when you come to think about it, that we struggle with stuff. Yeah. You know, Cause we don't, you know, our, finding as you get older, once again, you, you sort of lose things here and there, or forget things. And, you know, I like to think of, of the, my mind, the brain as a, um, a large warehouse of file cabinets. And sometimes I just can't find the right file. It is all there. You know, it's all there. It's just, you have to retrieve it. So when we're talking about health and wellness and, and, you know, wholeness, it's there. We just have to figure out how to retrieve it. Yeah. I'm just noticing the time. So I just wanted to bring it back around. And um, yeah, I'm just curious what what may be staying with you or what you may be taking with you uh, from this conversation. Yeah. Well, I, I know that this wasn't an official healing story circle, um, but there are elements of that um, that were certainly modeled, you know, in, in this conversation. And I have to say that through through the conversation and and sort of noticing where I was then when we started and now as we finish, I just am feeling this incredible sense of relaxation mm. and and just sort of I won't say peace but more more support more mm. like yeah but it's it's okay I'm being cradled I've had a space to talk about it um it doesn't 
the things that I was thinking earlier that felt really heavy or really emotional don't feel so sort of big, hairy, and scary, you know, as they Mm -hmm. did before. And, um, you know, a lot of that has to do just with with being able to 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 move it from in here mm. to out here in a in a safe space. Yeah. So thank you, Christine. Welcome. Thank I'm so you. glad that you are here uh, doing this with me, and and grateful for everything you've shared and and brought to the space, and and honored to help hold that space for anything that wanted to come out. Um, And it just reminds me of really as maybe cheesy or cliche as this might sound, but the power of presence, Mm -hmm. you know, the the power of connection and Mm -hmm. I think you kind of said this earlier, like what relating is kind of meant to be (laughs) right yeah right that's the relate part of the relationship Mm -hmm. yeah it's like response ability right right we have the ability to respond if we stop stay present and collect ourselves so that we're actually responding not reacting So I appreciate this opportunity and this time with you as always. Thank you. I appreciate it too. Very much. Is it okay if I read your bio before we Sure. Sure. Okay. I can also do it off, you know, if it feels weird to hear me read it. Okay. It's all right. (laughs) Somebody said to me, can I say something real quick about that before you say that? I was talking in the hairdresser shop yesterday. And I was, we were talking about birth and breastfeeding and, and one of the women said, wait a minute, stop. Who are you? And she said it just like that. And I went, oh, where, you know, how do you explain to people like the kind of work that we do? It's a little, <laughs> right? I mean, in a, in a short sentence, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was no, funny. It's okay. Um, so thank you again for being here with me and sharing. And, and I'm, I'm really taking with me the, uh, Just the experience, the experience of, of being together. Mm. Yeah. I really do feel it. Like I feel this uh, space between us, even I though. I trust you. Oh. That's not something I say lightly. I think that really does make a big difference to be able to have that kind of trust in someone. Mm. Yeah. So thank you for being that kind of person and that, that kind of being that, that I feel that about. I appreciate that. Thank you. Just noticing <laughs> how that lands in me and I'm touched. And I'm really trying to take that all in. It's a little, there's a, it's a little hard for me, but I'm trying to let it, let it in. So thank you. And let's see, uh, for those of you joining us on this episode, 
thank you for listening. Um, if you'd like to know a little bit more about today's guest, I am joined by Sally. And a little bit about Sally is uh, she is a uh, mother, birth mother of three daughters and a son and has 11 grandchildren. Sally has over 35 years experience as a birth baby and family activist. She's certified as a prenatal and perinatal educator, labor assistant, and trauma-informed care practitioner trainer, and offers trainings for doulas, childbirth educators, nurses, midwives, and physicians. Sally holds a doctorate in sociology and a graduate certificate in feminist theory. Her dissertation was a tri-generational study of beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors about pregnancy, birth, early mothering, and family health. She taught for over 20 years in human development, child and family studies, women's studies, sociology, and criminology. Her research focuses on prenatal and perinatal psychology, pregnancy and birth, family health, relational and physical, and family violence. She is the founder and executive director of the Family Womb, Peaceful Energy Reiki, and It's Your Life Coaching and Consulting. And if it's okay with you, Sally, I may uh, put some links on how to find you, if that's okay. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. If anyone's interested um, from our conversation today. But thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for the space. Yeah. Appreciate it. Bye, everyone.